Good evening. This is Michael Fennell, guest host tonight for Thursday Night Talk. Jerry Martin has lived on the North Coast 48 years. He was working as a carpenter when I met him and years later began teaching writing at uh, Humboldt State University. His books include Shell Game, The Price of a Life, Pieces in Place, and many poetry chapbooks. And I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving some stuff out because you've got tons of stuff out there. Jim Dodge has also lived in Northern California for a long time. According to one bio, he has made a living as an apple picker, carpet layer, teacher, professional gambler, shepherd, woodcutter, and an environmental restorer. He eventually became director of the creative writing program at HSU. His books include FUP, Not Fade Away, Stone Junction, and the poetry collection Rain on the River. Tonight, we'll be talking about their works and about what it's like to be an aging writer. What does old age teach us? How does it affect the writing or how, do we, how we choose to live? Do we become more committed to this place that we live in? This is a talk, so, this is a talk show, so we will open the phone lines a little bit later, 826-4805, if you don't know the number. Um, and we'll let you know when we think it's appropriate to hear from you. So welcome, gentlemen. Thanks, Michael. Good to be here. Right. And, Jim, you need to kind of be close to the mic a little bit. Um, All right. th that opening piece was by Philip Levine, who put that together uh, at 84 years old, and he collaborated with um, Benjamin Boone, the saxophonist. So we have to honor old age when, it, um, when poets can still do their craft so well into their 80s. Yeah, that's unlike carpentry and other things like that. You can keep doing it or, or acting like you're doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who knows? Mm -hmm. Really, it reminded me of the uh, um, current opioid crisis where it talks about, you know, gin being the thing. And it seems to me the obvious question or answer is why, why do we need to... Why do we need these painkillers? And the answer is, we're in pain. <laughs> sometimes it's with gin, sometimes it's oxycontin, sometimes whatever. And sometimes it's both. <laughs> or all. <yeah>. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's at the stompant. Mm -hmm. And so it turns out that April is poetry month. So I don't know if someone had the concept that, well, it's April, so let's do the show on poetry, but... As we're all getting older, so it's it's time to kind of sit down and talk about it. Yeah, I think it's because it was April in, in T.S. Eliot's poem, The Wasteland. <laughs> April is the cruelest month, et cetera. Et cetera. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. T.S. Eliot. I, saw, I read a poem about, he had a poem about aging called Gerontian, which was written in 1920 when he was like, he was in his 30s. <laughs> It seems very pretentious now. Really? Well, the other, I guess the other view would be that uh, April is spring and poetry has always been uh, one of the hopeful arts right. and an art of celebration. And you don't have to be laid out like a patient etherized upon the table necessarily <laughs> unless you really want to kill that pain. <laughs> <laughs> the Canterbury Tales begins in April. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a number of connections you can yeah. have. But. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's always some month for something. National Dill Pickle Month. And <laughs> that's not, not, that's I, in a way, I, you know, <laughs> as you get older in a certain way, well, I don't know. Maybe I only speak for myself here. But as you get older, your perversity comes to the fore. And it's like something. There's a month for everything. And I, I just... It just rankles me that something like poetry needs to be marketed. Because I think poetry is so wonderful that people should just fly to it. And do you think think that's um, not taught correctly in school? Are people not introduced? I mean, they get past Carl Sandburg and and, and poems look... I I really have no idea. I don't know. I just don't think uh, they get exposed enough. Yeah, no. I, my experience with the with the poets in the schools program is that if you go into a classroom and read poetry to kids, they say, "Hey, I can do that," and they and they really can. Yeah, they say, "Why?" Wow. I mean, they they have this inbuilt gift for metaphor and saying outrageous stuff, and they they have the music in them. It's when they hit adolescence, they lose it all and they have to learn it all over again, but. Well, yeah, we lose everything. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> when I listen to hip hop, um, it sounds like poetry. It is, and and those guys, and women, they are they are working it. They are yeah. just they are wordsmiths. Yeah, no, it's poetry. Yeah. yeah, it's it's art. I mean, that's that's the thing. I think there's this creative impulse that people have that will find expression one way or the other. Words are one way. Um, painting. Um, acting, yeah, Poes- so, poesis. It means just making stuff. You know? yeah. yeah, to make yeah. rather than to destroy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How come we don't have national destruction month? <laughs> Every month is yeah. national destruction. Yeah. Month. When, is, when is carpentry month? Yeah. Oh, How come that's you. eleven months a year? <laughs> really, and there's a really valuable art and a beautiful one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, where's where's national nuke month? <laughs> I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> oh, God. Well, not to sound cliche, but I wondered when the first urge to write a poem started. Was it in school or was it somewhere after school? Um, I memorized a poem that I didn't write and recited it to this girl that I had a crush on in about the fourth grade, I think, and pretended like I had written it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You plagiarized. I, I did. Yeah, you, fake, you fake it till you make it. Shamelessly plagiarized. It was. It was. A, it was like. It was what a, was it? It was. Oh, it was a totally inappropriate poem. It was like. A, it was like a. a, 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 a it was a very famous poem, actually. A, a sort of a. a uh, a, a eulogy for the all the people who died in World War One. Well, for Flan- No, it was like Flanders in Flanders fields. <laughs> the poppies grow. It's a right. total cliche, right. famous poem. I, I said, know that. I said, I wrote. Yeah, I wrote that. <laughs> and she said, "You're so sensitive. Yeah, Please take me to bed." Yeah. <laughs> well, I was only in fourth grade. I, was, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do after that. Right. Well, it was a good start. It was. It was a good start. I didn't try again until I was in my thirties. <laughs> Did it, how did it work then? <laughs> um, slowly at first. <laughs> <laughs> did you use Flanders Steel? I got better. No, I found other poems by that time. <laughs> <laughs> to, to borrow. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think, um, I don't really remember 
I think the first poem I ever wrote was about uh, my brother uh, and sleeping in close quarters and the feeling of, of us exchanging air. So, uh, not very sexy, but mm-hmm. it was a start. And I was really, I, I, I think I was influenced a lot by the, the uh, 60s and Bob Dylan and, you know, popular music is poetry. It's um, it, it, or it's a mode of expression. I just, you know, that's why I sort of like resist its National Poetry Month, and this is what poetry is. Um, you know, it was just it was the expression of something that that uh, needed to be expressed. And he was a singer, and I, <laughs> I don't have a lick of music in me. I don't think so. He made it sound easy, though. So, yeah, I, I didn't write any poetry until I moved here. And I think, and Jim, I think you were one of the first poets that I met here. I mean, really? I mean, I had met academic poets who were sort of living in universities, but you were the well, first. Well, they're poets. Yeah, no, I mean, but, but you were the first free-range poet. <laughs> <laughs> the first one grazing on the street. The first one grazing on the street. And I get the sense that it was really working-class poets, you guys. I mean... I don't know. I, I sense something in your poetry that comes out of the working class and, and you, just the way you look at the power structure and, and stuff. So does, does your background influence your poetry? Can, can you be a rich kid and write decent poetry? Yes. Yes, okay. You can be anything and write yeah. decent poetry. Yeah. I think that's pretty well proven. Yeah. It's, it's, it's challenging, I guess, but... But you're also correct about Jerry and I. I think that we share a certain. I would. I wouldn't. I would say middle class. I, I'm a, <coughs> the last all-American boy. Uh, <laughs> I I used to think we were middle class because there were some people poorer than us and, and a lot of people richer than us. Mm-hmm. Not yeah, very well, many poorer, but <laughs> yeah, that word middle is, yeah, is I, not I, very well defined. I th- yeah, I thought. Oh, yeah. this isn't the middle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but now that we're losing it, we're beginning to understand a little better what it meant. Like, a, a, you know, living wage, uh, insurance, those kind of things. Right, and I think the struggle just to make a living when you're a young man just kind of puts something into you. You oh, just man. understand that, uh, I think that's economics. Like a, that's a whole deep topic for some other time probably is the the plight of young men now because of the ascendancy of women which are, you know, I'm totally for and it's a long time coming but uh, automation has taken away all of the uh, uh, grunt labor let's say, I mean just to you can't even call fi- it. can't even fix a car anymore. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you get you, that's I, something society has to adjust to. Of what do we do with all of these redundant workers? Right. Well, my dad, my my dad said to me one time. He said, "You know, when I was a young man, he said the town drunk could make a living digging ditches. He said nowadays there's a backhoe, <laughs> and it, that really struck me quite deeply. Really about." Yeah, you have to do something, and what does a young man have if he's not really well educated, uh, if not muscle, <laughs> and a load of testosterone? You can make a living, but not if there's a backhoe. 
unless you can repair a backhoe. A lot of people who moved here in the 70s, I think, were kind of intentionally going back to working class roots, even if they didn't have working class roots. Right. And, I mean, people were learning farming skills. I mean, we didn't know how to do much of anything, but that was, <laughs> that was, that was the ethic. I mean, everybody, it seemed like everybody wore big lace-up boots and... <laughs> um, right. And well, I, I always say that I sort of... I was in Sonoma County at the time on a on a, a hippie commune, which I always describe as, uh, as a Calvinist anarchist commune <laughs> since we had very few rules and everybody got up at, you know, 4.30 in the morning and worked their butts off all day long. Um, so it was kind of funny in a way. But uh, we did it because we didn't want to contribute to America. We didn't want anything to do with a country that was, you know, engaged in that kind of war. Yeah. I mean, you know, just super idealistic. You know how you are when you're really young. It's just like, you're right, everybody else is wrong. And yeah, we can do it as ourselves. Yeah, right. And we learned a lot. I, the first building we built just fell down because, you know... What sixteen-inch centers? Those are kind of close together, aren't they? And they like two feet. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, we tried a lot of things. Some of them worked. I remember. Remember when everybody was trying to build domes? Right. Yours. They, they all leaked. They all leaked. Yeah. They all leaked, and there was no. Where would you put a bookcase in it? <laughs> yeah. And why does the heat always go up to the top? Right. <laughs> yeah. But but. We learned how to do things, too. I mean, we became pretty handy. Because you had to. It was a weird experiment to just thrust yourself into a situation of total ignorance. Yeah. And, and we, were, we were lucky to do that at a time when there was enough slop over of the war economy... That's, that you could live cheaply. That's the whole secret. On, on the streets. And, right. Is to uh, live off the... When you live in an affluent society, there's always slop. Yeah, but now it's pretty tight now. There's no, there's no room for that. For, it's tightening up really quickly. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the legalization of weed. I think. Because I think it's going to just throw the, this economy into chaos. I don't know about your guys' situation, but on the block I live on, I saw th three, you know, free boxes of, you know, growing supplies, basically. People are just saying it isn't worth it anymore. Uh -huh. That's a pretty good percentage of people on your block. I live on a short block, too. Yeah. So actually legalization is going gonna, is gonna to affect and probably hurt Humboldt County. It's got to. I think so. It's just that there's less, there's less money to be made by ordinary families. A lot of people used to make moderate amounts of money. That's and, and they sustain their families um, partly with growing marijuana. So that's the key. Now, yeah. now that's been displaced, and what, who, who, who replaces it? Yeah. Yeah. It's up to each individual to figure out where to scramble next. Right. Yeah. And that will be the chaos. and It might be fruitful. 
and it really meant, or it could be deadly. You have to have a middle class income just to pay the for the permits to start. <laughs> yeah, really. Like, mm-hmm. really, and the penalties for remaining an outlaw. Uh, I mean, in indoor grows d- drove the price down so that it was untenable, and, and yeah. you know, I mean, just all kinds of factors at work. Yeah, so it's still illegal, but now it's commercial and illegal. I mean, depending if you're if you're not, it'll be legal for some people. Yeah, right. right. They jump into the system and have the resources, and right. now it's going to be actually like doubly outlawed right for right. those for those people who were not in the system and but, aren't right. in the system now but let's not i mean we want to keep in mind i think that legalization the good side of legalization is there's a lot of very good people that won't be in jail that is good yeah yeah, yeah. and that always affected people of color more than us, us white folks so we have always skated by and been allowed to um scavenge at the um, edges of the rest of society and scrape a living together. Right. But had we been darker skinned, we might not have found such an easy path. Or yeah. a female. I heard uh, this woman at the city council meeting the other night. She had this great quote, and I don't. She didn't. She couldn't say who it was from, but she said, "Oh, just give me the confidence of a mediocre white man." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought about it. It's so true. How um, right. we don't we get away with just. Um, being we can be mediocre and still make it. Yeah, yeah. Skin privileges, an invisible pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they call skin privileges. You, can, you assume a certain competence simply by being white in this culture. That is, it's unconsciousable. I mean, it's terrible. Yeah, and we don't, we don't really. There's no need to discuss it until we're faced with people of color that aren't able to do the same thing and it's like oh so all right so obviously we need some help here we need we need to help the white people adjust to different shades yeah thanks to Humboldt State's recruiting policies Humboldt County's faced with that issue now oh and it's 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 really hard especially with the murder of Josiah Lawson Um, it turns out that so many people of color are not feeling safe and they weren't really feeling safe even before the murder. That it's microaggressions in town. It's not getting the apartment that you applied for. There's all of this stuff. And it's not until you meet and talk to these folks that you understand their problem. Because, yeah. you know, white people don't talk about that unless there's some need. Because, you know, we're talking about something else. Uh, yeah, I think, well, I mean... If, for example, you had a college administration that just went out and talked to people in the streets and, or even any of local native people who have experienced this for several generations, they would say, this is still, this is still a pretty racist, backward kind of country here in Northern California. Yeah, redneck. Yeah, I mean they they kicked us hippies around for years because they didn't have any colored people to mm-hmm. do. Just, mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, it was <laughs> rare to see a black person here in McKinleyville or something like that. Yeah, but then there's always like the Crescent City model where you put in a prison and then the prisoners' families move in and then you have prisoners and guards. <laughs> and there's a real tension. That's a good Crescent City. Yeah, and they meet at the casino. And sometimes have a, have a hard time looking at each other 
It's um, insane. In town. <laughs> it's yeah. just all insane. Yes. Yeah, and that's, that's the future we're looking at. Yeah. Um, that's the present we're looking at. Yeah. yeah, and the past. Past, present, and future. That's one of the things that has to be solved. And I don't know, maybe I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think intermarriage is the only way it's going to ever be solved is when there's enough mixed blood and yeah. there's, uh, that people realize these are beautiful human beings, yeah. whatever their color. It seems like young people get that yeah, young more, more yeah. easily than, yeah. than even our generation. I mean, I, I'm always surprised that our generation didn't have the same ideas I had. You know, like, wow, why aren't... Why aren't they against the war? You know, aren't they looking at a different set of facts? You know, or In different values. Or, yeah, yeah. Or why aren't they against racism? Yeah, right. <laughs> why are they comfortable? Yeah. Right. Well, it is sort of a war of values and what you care about, and yeah, what you believe in and the way you want to live, and you have to stand up for that. Yeah, I think it was in the easy times. It was possible to believe that that wasn't a problem but as when time gets time gets tough and things are difficult then i think all of these old prejudices are coming out and i mean it doesn't take much i mean even the, the issues Boy. around the statue of william mckinley he's <laughs> i love it that's i mean you can you, people are kind of showing out Showing up and saying, "Ah, I haven't seen Arcata forever." People out for you know for for a couple of decades, you know. <laughs> now they're now they're militant in the streets and saying, "We want our old white Arcata back again." <laughs> you know, like, yeah, well, the, the young students at Humboldt have been taught history and imperialism, and all you need is some Filipino students to say, "He he caused genocide in my country." Or, you know, right. so there are a lot of reasons that white people don't know what McKinley stood for. And yeah. it's not that, you know, we want to disrespect a particular president, but maybe he doesn't belong there in the first place. And once you learn that he's responsible for genocide somewhere and terrible policies, well, then maybe we don't want to honor him in the town square and find a new place for him. Yeah, yeah. Enough. We don't need any more bronze people in the middle of the town. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, How bronze age? Yeah, no, it is. It is bronze age. Let's just clear it out of there and make room for people to eat and play music and, you know, hang out. In the I did think of a, a good replacement. Oh, I, was at the, I was in the co-op <laughs> near the meat department, and I looked up, and there was a giant salmon. Uh, that wood <laughs> that wood carved salmon. It's mm -hmm. got to be what twenty feet long. Oh yeah. Really? I thought you know that's going to fall on someone. Maybe that should be on the pedestal because salmon yeah. can't really offend anyone. Yeah, there's probably somebody. No, <laughs> yeah, there could be plenty of offense mm -hmm. uh, of what it, of what salmon's come come to symbolize, which is a deteriorating environment. I mean, they're almost. Uh, Coho is almost extinct. Yeah. And my father used to tell me about you could walk across the, you know, creek on the backs of the salmon and stuff like that. I mean, it's really criminal what we've done to this planet. Uh, and not just Americans. Yeah. I mean, this is a human problem. Yeah. Well, 
You're listening to KHSU. Um, I'm Michael Fennell. My guests tonight are Jerry Martin and Jim Dodge. We're talking about uh, poetry and getting old. And speaking of poetry, Jerry, would you consider reading something? Yeah, I, I brought along a couple of things. Um, recent, well, recent in poets' terms, like anything in the last ten years, is, seems seems recent. <laughs> and then let me just tell the audience, the, um, we'll open up the phone lines after a couple of poems. And uh, if you've got something to add to the conversation or you have a, a good question or something, you can, uh, go ahead and call in. 8264805 um, is the number. All right, Jerry. This is a poem about walking a dog. If you want to call in and walk, you know, talk about dogs, you can do that. <laughs> um, it's about walking a dog out on the little spit of land that goes out into Humboldt Bay. Uh, during during the height of the winter tides, the king tides, when it's apparent that we're, we're, we're losing our coastline, a dog's life. It's the highest tide of the year, nearly the shortest day. On one side, the river, almost over its bank. On the other, the bay, breakers coming across the bar. Then the ocean's immensity, periods of rain, with clearing. Maggie and I love this little piece of earth, its grasses and flowers, egrets and hawks, black-tailed jackrabbits. In our remaining years, maybe as few as a dog's life, it could be flooded, this world we know be drowned. Our kind has always been slow to respond to change. I'm still trying to sort out what happened when I was a kid in 1950s Southern California. Or things my father never talked about, his own childhood in Eastern Europe. What became of those who remained? Who sheltered and saved them? Who murdered or betrayed? What made the difference? Between the people who use this day to rekindle the fire, pass around a flickering light, and those who see us each against another, alone against the dark. Without understanding, everything happens again, no different than when I was a child. Those who most betray our nature are granted wealth and power. The ones who share the light are numbered and named the ground washing away beneath us. Waves will be coming over the dunes. The dog and I turn back. We pass two young women, deep in conversation, walking to the land's end. At the bridge, a man and a woman and an old dog heading out to the wild surf with a bucket and a little fishing pole. You have to wonder where our species lost its way. Somebody hands us a ticket. Earth, it says. Light and dark contend. Good and evil war within us. We give away the ticket. Watch the movie instead. When the waves come over, we hurry to the nearest god or candidate. I watch the tides. See how the river meets the bay. Try to figure out what's left, what's gone. What's going to change? The dog and I will walk out here again tomorrow. Maybe the day after that. 
We'll meet the guy who lives in the willows and talks to people we don't hear. Or the birders in funny hats, counting their winter flock. Other isolates who walk their dogs out here. Till this place is only memory. Till memory is gone. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, until memories, yeah. I'm going to read, um, I'll take it back to uh, aging. <laughs> uh, a little, sh- it's a short poem called Death and Dying. Don't matter squat when, where, or how you die. Important thing is, don't take it personal. <laughs> <laughs> mm. It probably needs some revision in the dying. It's harder not it's hard. It's hard to not take dying personally. <laughs> it is. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> you see, We're aging for that matter. <laughs> you see evidence every day, and yeah, probably say, "Wait, this happened to me." <laughs> yeah, right. So that comes out in your poetry sooner or later. You, your, your experience, or you know, I'm dealing with changes in the body, changes in oh, the abilities. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it. it I mean, it's. It, it, it reminds me of senescence. You know, reminds me of adolescence in a lot of ways. You know, when your your body is changing, you don't know what the hell's going on, and you're all hormonal and weird and. Uh, why am I acting? Why did I just say that to that girl? You know, <laughs> you know, what's going on? And, you know, it's kind of similar. You're sort of watching yourself and observing the way your body behaves. And, you know, unlike the way it used to behave. And right. your mind is sort of trying to catch up and trying to figure out who's, who is this now? You know, it's, I'm not sure we're equipped for this sort of thing. <laughs> I know it's the... Um it's that old, it's that ancient cliche, which I really like ancient and old cliches because they usually have a deep truth in them. And that is that, you know, you're, you're born, you're a little baby, and you grow up, and senescence to uh, old age, as Jerry was saying, or adolescence to senescence. That was well phrased, Jerry. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean it's like a circle, and then you end up when you get to be at our decrepit stages of you know old age. People have to wipe your butt. Yeah. <laughs> you are drooling again, right? <laughs> right. I have to every morning. I like my lower jaws dissolving, so I drool on my pillow. So uh, it's just all I say is you better have a sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the indignity of it. You have to laugh. Oh, the indignity is so <laughs> bad. So humor might be more important than poetry. Always. Like getting through. Oh, yeah. 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 I would, well, I mean, that's not a true distinction. I mean, poetry can has humor. I think it does. And a lot of yours definitely does. Yeah. So you know, I, I find myself <laughs> chuckling. Yeah, that's what a lot of people were said. But, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. You better have you better have a, uh, a or a good sense of irony at least. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you can't laugh, at least you should be able to like sneer or something. We get we get to 
practice that. I remember taking care of my mother in her last years, um, which was really a, a difficult lesson. And the humor was one of the ways she, we got through it. Like right. I would say, Mom, you're putting too much salt on your food. And she said, what, are you afraid I'm going to die young? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. It's true. It's funny. I, I love listening to some of your work that you did with the Band of Angels, the poetry about your mom, and, you know, riding on a trolley in L.A. What young uh, person can even relate to that sentence? Oh, what, yeah. What's a trolley? Ancient history. Why would it be in L.A.? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so the poetry can, can start in L.A. and end up in Humboldt County. Because that's yeah. the, the arc of our lives. Just it, it just follows us. Yeah. But I mean, there is an art. There is an art form in, in just being human of of taking care of each other, and I think that's one that really we need to pay a little bit more attention to, and try to perfect a little bit more. Is how do you, how do you, we take care of our children? Then you get to to you know your thirties and forties, and you take care of your your aging parents, and then you're aging, and it's time for someone to take care of you. Uh, so we're continually involved in this uh, taking taking care of each other, and people that do it gracefully are a blessing. They really are, and and it it might be the highest art form of all. And I think with that, we're learning at the same time to take care of the life around us instead of using it up part and parcel it's the same it's the same part and parcel larger family caretaking and stewardship I think are right two names for the same thing and that's in both your poetry um the the sense of repairing things, repairing the earth, repairing relationships um, right you know capitalism ruins things and People try to put things back together. Yeah, even better is not to destroy them to start with. That's always a good way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That makes it easier. It's a great shortcut. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm sure I've, I've read the word greed in each of your poetry. Oh, man. Because there's always greed to be uh, uh, named and, and criticized. And I, think it's the hard, I think it's the hardest human... Uh, impulse to truly master um, and it ha- it's deep in as many forms but um, I think the again to go back to the marijuana thing is that's what did that's what did it in was greed yeah. I'll grow 20 plants I'll grow 25 I'll grow 40 I'll grow 400 <laughs> and then retire which is, which is really ironic because it was meant to support a lifestyle dedicated to a different kind of right. Value. And bless those that held tight to those values. Uh, yeah, I the remember mom the, and poppers. And, I remember the mom and poppers saying, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna draw the line. We'll never sell for more than a thousand a pound." You know, but then the market was to two, three, four. You know, right. well. Hippies, hippies meet capitalism. Hippies meet capitalism. There was a time in that game when a pound of marijuana was worth more than a pound of gold. 
<laughs> yeah, or at least an ounce of gold. I'm not sure about a pound. I mean, an ounce yeah, of gold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See that? This is why I don't have any money. So you should a gram of gold and a pound of coke. I can't remember. Uh, so there's no money in poetry. Huh? <laughs> oh, there really isn't. <laughs> there really is. And you no guys money. are both good at words. You know, you would think that. It'd be some kind of monetary right. yeah, payout. Well, we check our mailboxes daily. You know, right. You know. yeah. yeah. Right. No, there is no money in poetry. The only reason to write poetry is because you love it. And that's what I, that's what I always told my students. Yeah. There's money in fiction. There's tons of money in fiction. There's tons of money in almost any kind of endeavor except poetry. And I, it's just we just don't value it. Yeah. Well, I think I think all the arts. So I mean, there are a lot of jazz musicians and painters. That I think have the same story to tell. Right, but I mean, they have a chance at least. That's true. <laughs> you know, yeah. Okay. They get the big time, but you don't see there is no big time in poetry. <laughs> yeah, who's the big time poet in America right now? You know, the last poet to make a living off royalties. Royalties are being the income you get from selling your books, not from giving lectures or readings or whatever, was Dr. Seuss. <laughs> and I, you know, bless him, I, he deserved every penny. I read yeah. Dr. Seuss. I bet you guys have all read Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Yeah. Green eggs and ham. So, I mean, is that sad? That's the way it is. But I think poetry has given more back to me than I could but I guess I'm a, my value system has already been questioned yeah. and maybe corrupted, but still I think poetry really returns. Poetry gives you back life, I think. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah. it, it comes back in all kinds of ways. All kinds of ways. Like rheumatism and <laughs> bad posture. <laughs> Frustration, Frustration, rages. <laughs> but not money. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, you can say that with some certainty. I, I, I made a little a circuit ride up to Ashland. Was it last week before last to read Earth tickets to people and... I actually sold some copies, and I, I keep I keep careful books on these on these excursions. And I I might have been the first time I showed a profit of two dollars and ten cents. <laughs> right, mm -hmm. covered my gas. You know, people put me up here and there. Right. Well, I, I, I think it's turning around. You know, <laughs> in the book business, there's there's a, a thing called the uh, payback, where you actually hit payback. And that is like, they, usually they give you an advance on your book, and when you've made that money back, then they actually begin to send you royalties, you see. Mm -hmm. And the only, uh, I remember when uh, Rain on the River, my poetry book, paid back, and I got a check in the mail for $38. Whoa. <laughs> That's over and above, the advance was 1500 which... In terms of the literary business, fifteen hundred is like a mild slap <laughs> on the face. Uh, and so I took my wife out to dinner. There you go. Which was not a big dinner. Thirty-eight dollars. 
<laughs> no, but it paid, no dessert, honey. <laughs> but it paid back. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. I was happy. I was a happy boy. Yeah. All right, this is KHSU. Um, I'm sitting here with Jerry Martin and Jim Dodge. Uh, Jerry, would you read another piece? And Jim, would you consider a second sure. poem? Sure. I, I yeah. got a whole book full of cool. them. Yeah, make, make Jim read a couple of them. They're short. <laughs> I, got, I got one medium piece. This is about, this is about memory. Um, I mean, a short-term memory truly goes to hell. It's just astonishing how, how forgetful old people are. Like, we made a lot of jokes about whether we were going to remember to show up here. <laughs> um, but long-term memory, that, that's what this poem is about. A narrow sandbar divides the current in front of our campsite. We came up the North Fork yesterday afternoon... Backpacks and cutoffs, old tennis shoes splashing through the shallow stream, staying under the canopy of alders, on the logging road above us, Friday's last truckloads coming down, the timber company known to be hostile to people like us. This morning it's quiet. After breakfast and coffee, I'm sitting on our blankets in the shade. She's lying in the sun on the sandbar. I get up and wade across the cold stream, slowly let my body cover hers, breast and belly warm with the morning sun, eyes open, close again, the water sparkling and trilling around us, then I see him, on another sandbar, maybe thirty feet upstream, a big bobcat has stopped halfway across standing in the dappled shade of alders, gazing at us. Long-legged, tufted ears, tail straight up, large yellow eyes regarding us. A long time passes. I whisper. She opens her eyes. Amid the sound of flowing water, her soft outcry. He steps from the sandbar, pads through the stream in leafy sunlight, disappears into the alders. It's more than 40 years now, the three of us in midstream. The body is wild and remembers everything. Nice. Oh, wow, <clears throat> I like that. That's, some stuff stays, you know. Well, we didn't even know one. Memory. Memory. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, I forget. <laughs> I had a similar experience with uh, out hunting. Uh, of uh, I was and I was sort of like resting in a jumble of uh, down uh, redwoods, which were quite big. And a bobcat came down the top redwood. It had no idea I was there, uh -huh. so I was looking up on it. And uh, finally, I was <laughs> compelled. I went. Hey, what are you up to? <laughs> and it it jumped about, I'd say, eighty feet straight up in the air and just was gone. I guess that's perversity when you. <laughs> hey, what are you up to? And he was just ambling along. I mean, it's such yeah. a, it's something you never forget. That kind of an encounter. Yeah, uh, that really matters. Anyway, all right, I'll read this. Um, I'll read a couple of short poems. And this is a rhymer. 
which is pretty rare these days. Uh, and uh, and I'll dedicate it to Michael since he, he sort of said he liked it. Um, thanks for the dance. I applaud the way you pony. Dig the way you twist. Tremble when you sing along. Do you like it like this? I adore the way you shimmy. The way you say yeah. But I live to watch you rumba in your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was Sister Soul's request. She like when I read that to her a night or two ago. She says, "Oh, please, ask Jim to read that." Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's something. There's a sprung. Well, it's technical. Doesn't matter. Okay, <laughs> this one is another one about death, and I re- I'd actually forgotten about it until I saw it here. Uh, very zenny. This is very Zen. I was reading a bunch of Zen Buddhism at the time. It's called The Stone. And evidently true, true story. Of two great masters, they say one died serenely, a little smile on his face. The other screaming his head off, terrified of death. The stone falls till it hits the earth. <laughs> Can't get much easier than that, huh? I'm so full of <laughs> Can't believe it. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's Zen. It's okay. <laughs> Somebody call in. Yeah. Hey, uh, I, I, I know that you guys really respect each other. So if you guys can comment on each other's works or or lives, or we'll just talk about aging together. <laughs> well, that's yeah. I'm, we're yeah, having a ball. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. We're we're enjoying it. We're we've actually started this gym's idea was to let, let's let's do this thing where he's great at this kind of stuff he and his, <laughs> he his brother he and his brother Bob used to do this stuff and it always involved very complex and arcane sets of rules that, <laughs> so we're we're trade we're writing a poem a month on a topic that we take we take turns providing the topic for the month and we write a poem and then I'm not sure what happens after that is gets a little vague and seems to change every month. And, and you didn't bring any here. Mm-mm. No, we didn't bring any of those here. <laughs> they're too new. Yeah, they're, they're way they're, too new. We're still working on them. And every time we talk about them again, we change the the ending is always... I don't think any of them so far has gotten a satisfactory ending. No. Um, but it's... It, it gives us an ex- a chance to have dinner at least once a month and um, meet and talk about poetry and sort of make sure each other's still on the planet. And and so you're kind of still honing your craft. Oh, always. Yeah. God, yeah. I some days I think so. Some days I think no. Uh, I was I was better ten years ago. <laughs> I think we were all better ten years ago, maybe. But you never know. That's yeah. your thing. You never know. Yeah, I could be on the verge of a breakthrough. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he then he hit. Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. When he got older. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would say. Um, uh, we have a lot of fun together. And that's, uh, I, I think that's one of the secrets of friendship. And Jerry is really a very good friend. He's a better friend than I am. He always, you know, mm-hmm. he calls on Valentine's Day. 
Nice. <laughs> well, yeah. knowing that my wife died recently, you know, just mm-hmm. checking uh, in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. but I, I, I learned from Jim <laughs> the sanctity of holidays like Valentine's Day from, <laughs> from reading your poetry. So April it Fool's comes, Day comes around. Yeah, April Fool's Day is especially good. Well, we <laughs> learn. We learn from each other. Yeah. Oh, you know, absolutely. How to, how to take absolutely. care of each other. Well, there's actually a, a caller. Um, oh, so right. uh, caller named Sammy. So let's put him on the line, Michael. Hey, uh, it's it's a woman, Sammy, and I'm just uh, wanting to ask you guys. It's such difficult times, and I apologize if you addressed this already. But um, can poetry save us? Ah, good <laughs> question. <laughs> uh, yeah, certainly. <laughs> I have no idea. Stay on, stay on the line. <laughs> Help us on yeah. the way. <laughs> I really, I have no idea. I don't. I would have to know what you mean by shavers, and I would have to know what you, yeah, what you think it it should do, and all of that. But. Well, I'm just thinking about art and the influences that art. Uh, plays in our day-to-day and the socio-political in all of our engagements with one another just wondering what you think art role in that is and what poetry specifically can do for us well i think it can it can really help uh and certainly refine uh techniques uh but i think what we really need to save each other is we've got to learn to love each other so, if, if you look at poetry as a practice, as an advanced practice, even, of love, then, yeah, it, will, it, it may help save us. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we I love will. the answer. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're quite welcome. We probably won't make it without it. Mm-hmm. No, we won't. Well, I, I'm really just ripped off Auden, who said, uh, one of the great quotes is, we must love, we must love one another or die. Uh, Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, as as a non-poet, you know, I read <laughs> there poetry occasionally. There are no occasionally. non-poets. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, then I should start writing. I, I There's non-practitioners. Yes. Yeah. But it seems like uh, poetry is like a, a short form of philosophy. It seems like to help, help us understand life a little bit, at least as a reader. Um, you, yeah. You remind us of of what to pay attention to, what you know, what that's that's well put. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the most direct way of responding to what happens to you and what's happening around you. Right. That's what I, I always say. That's the fir- the first job of poetry is to pay attention, mm-hmm. and you can't go wrong paying attention. And in fact, I think I read in one of your poems: "You're never too poor to pay attention." You're never too poor. To <laughs> what did I get that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. You're never yeah. too poor to pay attention, right? That I, was, I that's like the avuncular that. advice to young men, yeah. that poem. I almost read that, but mm-hmm. yeah. it had too many obscenities. <laughs> yeah, too many oh, of yeah. the seven no-nos. You'd have to wait till 10 o'clock uh, oh, to uh, yeah. adult poetry. Yeah, I, I think especially in times like this, which is there's, you know, there's... there's upon just you know to the hyper level and any any form music or poetry or painting or film if it cuts that cuts through the crap uh is is gonna save our butts you know if if, if anything is i mean just little little doses of of truth and love you know that 
uh, is vital to get us through. It's a good practice. It's a good practice to do that. So we talked a little about um, aging and the the decrepit conditions that come come on with advanced aging and stuff, but also there must be a level of wisdom that maybe you you know starts to sink in and oh man that was my hope (laughs) my hope is like the energy of youth would be i knew i would lose that because i mean you know you know the arc but that it would all be made up by the refinement of technique and spirit and in my case (laughs) it's not even close uh, you mean it's not all clear? I thought you had no, the answer. You know, <laughs> I really did. At, at, when I was in my twenties, I thought, you know, by the time I'm, you know, in my forties, I'll have it pretty much figured out. I'm eighty times more confused now than I was then, and and I, it's not that I don't enjoy it, but uh, right, it's I a was, puzzle to figure out. I was every, so wrong. Every, <laughs> every decade or something, we've like got to re relearn things. Yeah, yeah. Every, everything it seems like you know again and then again and again. And we were talking earlier about the um, technology, for instance, for those of us past sixty-five. Um, we're not on the edge. I know you guys are a little bit further past, but <laughs> yeah, I, we're, I'm long gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if it weren't for some for young people helping us out, hey, what what's this button do? <laughs> I mean, it's that. And what bad. is what does this mean? And why don't they speak the language I can understand? Uh, um, but, but it is unnerving. Like the other night, I was driving home, and there were all these people that were looking solitary people walking along looking at their hands and it was pretty it was just unnerving that then I realized they were looking at their phones <laughs> and it was just unnerving to me to to think that this device had this kind of uh, gravity in your life all of a sudden uh, get a friend and walk home with them <laughs> or do something I don't know yeah, it seems Don't to be short circuiting our our social skills and our our. But at the same time, it, it's it's bringing them together too. I, I gather because you Twitter yeah. and Facebook and yeah. all of this, and you can find long front lost friends. And I think it's yeah, it's just what teenagers love. I think you know, just like always, always be connected to your friends. Yeah, it's a form of connection, but. The quality of the connection is different than than a kiss. Yeah, so, there's a, there's some corporations between you and your friends. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know helping you like them, helping you like them. You know? yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that we're g- going to figure that one out. No, I mean Jerry and I. Yeah, you know. I know very well. That <laughs> we're going to be the last to go. <laughs> yeah, I have no interest actually. Yeah. I want to see another bobcat. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Rather than a new app. <laughs> Rather than a new app, right? No, mm. I see another bobcat. Yeah. God, they're beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are we are out of time, believe it or not. Um, that hour went so quickly. Wow. Yeah. It is. I guess. Down to thirty seconds. All right. Well, Jerry, it's been a pleasure sitting here talking about your poetry and Jim. Likewise, oh, haven't seen you. And, our, and, our pleasure. And Thank I you. I was much. thinking about one of the connections 
Jim, you officiated at me and Sister Soul's wedding. Right. At our house in Manila that Jerry uh, made all the windows. See, for. look at those connections. So we're just wrapping it together now. Just another, right. just all the right. connections so, keep. So this keep has been on. Michael Fennell for Thursday Night Talk with Jim Dodge and Jerry Martin. Let's say good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Thursday Night Talk on KHSU. Thank you to our host, Michael Fennell, and to our guests, Jim Dodge and Jerry Martin. We'd love to get feedback on our programs. Please email Thursday Night Talk at khsu.org and like our Facebook page, Thursday Night Talk on KHSU. On the next Thursday Night Talk, Chuck Rogers joins Eric Kirk to discuss the latest in national politics, including the Cohen raids, potential talks with North Korea, the president blocking his own cabinet's effort, to sanction Russia, as well as the anticipated blue wave in November's election, including a potentially earth-shaking Senate race upset in Texas. Join the conversation April 26th, beginning at 7. Thanks to KHSU Thursday Night Talk producer Geraldine Goldberg. Our theme music is composed and performed by Jeff Kreider. My name is Michael. I've been your studio engineer tonight. Stay tuned at KHSU. No Room for Squares is coming up next.